inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Underwater iPhones, deep sea Netflix, and scuba surround sound. Sounds impossible, right? Maybe it still is, but my guest this morning may have brought us a step or two closer to a bunch of impossible things. I'm your host, Richard Miles. My guest today is George Scrivantes, founder of Extreme Comms Lab. Welcome to Radio K, George. Thank you, Richard, for the invitation. So let's start, George, talking about your core technology. Sort of what is it and how does it work? So today we're living in exciting times, right? Every day we are using devices that are almost always and at any time connected to the internet. From your smartphones to your smartwatches to Alexa at home to Siri, you name it. Can we leverage this exciting technology developments that we have seen for land-based communications and somehow use them to wirelessly connect our oceans to the internet? Well, to give you an idea of what's the existing infrastructure out there, first of all, it's very expensive and it's very limited. US Navy, for example, the submarines are using acoustic signals to communicate. These signals are very low frequency, very low bandwidth, and as a result, underwater communications today is very, very slow. So at Extremecom's lab, we start to change that by building underwater communication modems that can boost wireless connectivity up to 10 times. These modems can communicate in 360 degrees, they are omnidirectional, they can both transmit and receive, and they are fully reprogrammable on the fly so that they can efficiently utilize all of their available resources. We have patent-pending software and hardware, which is easy to install, easy to operate, and offers compatibility with existing infrastructure. So we are trying to disrupt underwater communications today. To give you an example, the state-of-the-art modems out there is like using your 1990s dial-up modem to download an image or stream a video from the web. It would take forever, right? So I remember those days well. I winced just hearing that. But okay, so in addition to this sounding very, very cool, this also sounds very, very expensive. Um, Because if I understand the analogy correctly, if we think about above ground, right, we have cell phone towers and wireless networks, and that has been built up over a decade or so of cell phone towers on on every corner. Is that also how this would work? Would you have the equivalent of towers underwater or buoys underwater that would be serving the same sort of function in a network? So as of now, we do not see a need for deploying permanent infrastructure like cell towers, but we are leveraging software-defined radio technology, which has actually become commodified over the past few years. This is small form factor programmable radios, which can be programmed to act as base stations, but also by just changing the software, you can make them act as cell phones. So the infrastructure is already available out there, is cheap, hardware is cheap. What we are building is software and a method that will enable these hardware modems to communicate faster underwater. So the existing nodes are actually existing radios, and these would be on ships or submarines? or yeah. Okay. Yeah, the idea is to attach them to potential users of an underwater network, like submarines, scuba divers, as you mentioned. But we will be building that network using 
two technologies. One of them will be swimming vehicles, which will be carrying our own underwater modems and will be able to communicate and navigate underwater. And the second key technology is gateway sea surface stations. These stations will be sitting at safe spots at the sea surface. They will be equipped with Extremecom's lab communication solutions, which will be offering dual underwater and over-the-air communication. So they will be acting as a relay gateway sitting at the sea surface, relaying all the data from our underwater modems to maybe a satellite or a cellular base station that is close by. So you will be able to access data from underwater assets from wherever you are in the world. So let's talk about the range. You know, if I want to go and use Wi-Fi, I can go find a Starbucks, but I got to sit in the Starbucks or maybe right outside the Starbucks. Right. And then with cell phone towers, if I get too far away from an existing cell phone tower, my reception gets sketchy. What sort of range are we talking about if you had a mode, say, on a submersible or a ship? You have to be within a mile, five miles, 10 miles. How would that work? Underwater is really sort of like deep space for communicating. So you have to trade off communication speed for communication range. So say that you want to communicate at 10 miles. As of now, submarines are using very, very low frequencies, as I mentioned, sort of what the whales are using to communicate. So they will lower down their frequency and that will limit their communication speed. But if you are, for example, in a port and you want to monitor incoming vessels, you might not have to communicate at such large distances so you can increase your frequency get more bandwidth, and that would give you more speed. So there is no one-size-fits-all solution, but at the end of the day, you need a programmable on-the-fly modem that can adapt to the application. So if the application is having high-range communication specifications, then we can on-the-fly reprogram the entire network to satisfy these requirements. I see. Let's talk a little bit about submarines. I have a personal interest in this. My son is a communicator on a fast attack submarine currently somewhere under the Pacific Ocean. I don't know where. And I'm surprised listening to him, as you said, how limited actually the communication options are, even for a very expensive military submarine. Mm -hmm. So is the main market for your technology at this point military or government customers, or are there enough commercial applications out there that you wouldn't be dependent on governments buying this. Right. Through our customer discovery, we found out that really the underwater acoustic communications and robotics market, and particularly the defense industry, is what is mostly in need of such a technology. And there is actually a growing demand for building indestructible, self-healing wireless networks underwater for the US Navy. We see that building such an infrastructure will have also tremendous commercial impact from diver-to-diver -diver communication to diver-to-vessel communication, fish farm monitoring, for example, deep-sea oceanography, for our scientists and marine biologists out there. So there is really a wide range of applications, but we see the US Navy and the government as our first customer. And George, are there other competitors out there or similar technologies that are in this market or do you have this market to yourself? There is competition out there, of course, in underwater robotics and underwater communications. So there are people building underwater modems at the moment. The problem is that modems are tailored to specific applications. As I said before, you buy a modem that has fixed communication speed at a certain range and at a certain depth. So if you need to use this modem in another application, you really have to buy another product from the same vendor. 
So what we offer is really on the fly reprogrammable modems that somebody can throw them out there in the ocean. They can find out what's the best way to network and be active at all times so that they can react to any interference or anybody that tries to disrupt the communication in this network. So it sounds like you're really competing in terms of flexibility and just the ease of setting this up, right? Correct, correct. Let's talk a little bit about the company aspect of it. So this is a technology licensed from Florida Atlantic University, is that correct? So the technology has been developed as a part of our research group uh, while the group was up in State University of New York at Buffalo. I see. Uh, the group uh, just moved as of last year in Florida Atlantic University. We have a patent, provisional patent application that has already been filed from the inventors of ExtremeComs. And by the end of this summer, actually, we will be filing for the full patent. And we plan on filing a second patent by the end of the fall semester. So you mentioned a group. Is this a company yet? Have you actually formed a company? We've incorporated officially as of last October in Florida as ExtremeComs Lab Inc., We are a research group, as I said, because the three co-founders of Extreme Comms Lab have our faculty and a PhD student working at Florida Atlantic at the moment. So, so far you've done pretty well as a company and and I neglected to mention, congratulate you that you have made the final four stage of the 2019 Cade Prize competition. We had a lot of very good entries this year and you're certainly one of the best ones. But tell me, what are the next steps? Are you looking now for financing for investors in terms of management? Do you plan on staying on as CEO or are you looking for other management? Describe for me what that looks like right now. Sure. So we've had a great run over the past couple of years. We've raised more than 60,000 in equity-free funding from pitching the idea to similar startup competitions. We filed for our first patent and we are actively looking to recruit an interim CEO for the company. As of this year, we are planning to test our technology with swimming vehicles. We will be filing for a second patent and we are looking to do a small-scale field deployment of more than two of these prototypes out in the Atlantic. And if I'm permitted to ask, have you had any discussions with the military? You don't have to confirm or deny, but just interested. So we've been talking to some program managers at the Office of Naval Research, and we've seen that they are interested in sponsoring undersea communication technologies. And we are in touch, and we are waiting to see if we can get some early stage funding in terms of an SBIR grant. That sounds very exciting. I wish my son were a big wig at the Pentagon. Then he put in a good word for you, but he's not. And he's also underwater right now. So we can't talk to him. George, I'm just guessing here, but you don't sound like you were raised in North Central Florida. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you end up in this field? But let's go back further than that. Where were you raised? Does entrepreneurship run in your family? What did your parents do for a living? That sort of thing. So I was born in Athens, Greece in 1986. My parents haven't been involved in entrepreneurship. My father is a school teacher and my mom has been working for a financial institution. So since I was young, I was always tinkering around with computers. I studied for my bachelor's degree in electrical and computer engineering at the Technical University of Crete at the island of Crete down in southern Greece. And then I decided to pursue my PhD in the States, where I joined State University of New York at Buffalo in 2011, where I did my PhD in electrical engineering. And this is where I started getting involved with entrepreneurship-related activities in the university. And I've always been closer to the industry than doing pure research for research, if you may. I've always wanted to 
see what we do in the lab getting transitioned in a product or changing the way people live over or under the water. <laughs> so that's where it really all started. And now I'm here at Florida, I think, uh, which is the best state at the moment to do underwater research, both because of the weather and because having the ocean right next to you. Right. Yeah. You can't get much better than Florida <laughs> being surrounded by water almost, right? Yeah. George, were you always a good student? Did you always do well in, say, math and science classes? I wouldn't describe myself as the best student, but I was always interested more in math, physics, and as I said, I was always tinkering with computers myself, learning to program. Around 15 years old, I know kids now start doing that thing around six or seven years old. So, yeah. And as you and your colleagues came up with this idea for underwater communications, do you remember a particular moment in time where it just sort of popped into your head or was this a long time thinking about it? Describe how that thought process played So out. really, me and my co-founders, as I mentioned, signal processing and wireless communications and uh, networking researchers, we are solving problems related to communications in different environments. Either this is over the air or under the water or over the water surface. So as I mentioned, underwater is really like the deep space. 75% of the world is covered by water, yet we do not really know a lot about it, right? If you think about it, we know more about the surface of Mars than we know about 30,000 feet below the surface of the water. So that's really a big challenge. And we think that commercializing and making available that kind of products to the market will span out research from similar groups to disrupt ocean engineering and the marine market as a whole. So it wasn't like you were off, uh, in a boat off of Costa Crete and you drop your cell phone in the water like, oh, damn it, if only I could talk to them. So, well, that's very interesting. So, George, you're still very young. And to be honest, everyone starts looking young to me at, at my age. But you've already been around for long enough to take an idea that you developed in the laboratory, you and your colleagues. You think it has marked potential. And you're now making those first steps into the commercial market to see how to move this forward. What are some of the lessons that you feel like you've learned over the last few years? And if someone were to come to you and ask for advice about what do I do, because uh, I've got an idea, sure. what are some of the sort of things that you would say, well, you should definitely consider this and those things don't do? Sure. So the first thing I would say, both to myself and anyone else that asks for advice, is be patient. And this is really not a sprint. It's really a marathon. You will get bad criticism most of the times. Just use it as a fuel to keep struggling on what you do. Just don't give up on your ideas. Try to use the criticism, both bad and good criticism, to make something out of it. Use it as a feedback to get better and better. And at the end, you will definitely make it. That's very good. And it's remarkably similar to what I hear from other inventors. They talk about patience and endurance and being willing to commit a long time. But I also like the idea of you have to weather the criticism because I think sometimes inventors think that what they're going to do is it's a little bit like a rock concert. You're going to unveil your idea in the stadium, a bunch of people are going to applaud. And that's fantastic. But that's often not the case, right? Yeah. yeah, it really takes a lot to get all the abstractions of your research and move from the deeply technical side to pitching the idea to people that are not really technical savvy and to convince them that what you do can maybe change the world at some point. 
Well, George, we'll certainly be watching your company with interest. And just a few days ago, in fact, a company that won Arcade Prize in 2013 just gotten a $3.5 million investment from Samsung. That's great. You know, so they've been in that category of plugging away on their technology, working hard. And it took a while, but they're finally doing quite well. So hopefully before seven years, read something similar about Extreme Comms. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming on Radio Cade and look forward to having you back at some point. Thank you very much, Richard, for the kind invitation. And I really enjoyed our discussion. Great. I'm Richard Miles. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist of the Cade Museum for coordinating inventor interviews. Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.